You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. We start a new series today. We've been talking about the prodigal son. We start a new series today called New Creation. And uh, to introduce that series, um, I want to show a video. Everybody say grace. Bless this, O oh Lord. Grace! Food. If you can't imagine yourself being Peter Pan, you won't be Peter Pan, so eat up! Eat what? There's nothing here. Gandhi ate more than this. Don't you remember this used to be your favorite game? I know you're wondering, like, how does this fit into anything that we possibly could be talking about? But we've been talking about the prodigal son, right? And we've been talking about the invitation that the father gives us into this amazing feast. But the reality is, for all of us, is that um, we have a hard time believing that there is really a feast for us. That we, we have a hard time believing that the father could really love us that much. You know, there's a line in that, in that clip that Tink says to Peter Pan. And she says, if you can't imagine being Peter Pan, you won't be Peter Pan. And the same is true for us. If we can't imagine being God's child, and, 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 all, and, and with that, all the promises, all the blessings, all the beauty, all the power that come with that, if we can't imagine being God's child, then we will never be God's child. We will never act like God's child. This new series that we're talking about, New Creation, 
we're going to be talking about who we really are as, as, as children of the Father who have come into a feast. What does that mean for us in a practical way? Um, and so today we're going to talk about, again, new, new creation, but specifically becoming, whoa, becoming a part of his family, hearing and believing, and believing you are part of his family, sealed and guaranteed. And so the first thing we have to, we have to kind of get our head around is what does it mean to become a part of his family? And so we're going to kind of talk about first, like, what's a Christian? Because a Christian is a part of God's family. And the second thing we're talking about, if, if we are a Christian, if we are part of God's family, then, then what does that mean? Like, like how do we live that out? Or, or how does that change how we live? So we're going to start with Ephesians 13, I mean, no, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And now I've done something I've never done before, and I've used the first verse, 13, I used out of the ESV, and then verse 14 I used out of the NIV, because each one best captures what the original language is trying to say, okay? And so Ephesians 1, 13 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, who is the, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, so the first part. Becoming a part of his family, hearing and believing. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. Becoming a new creation often begins, or always begins, with hearing something and then believing it is true and allowing it to transform your life. It says this. It says, how then, and this is in uh, Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? You have to hear the gospel, then you believe the gospel, and then, and only then, are you a Christian. Then and only then is the Holy Spirit come and fill you. I mean, think about it. Every one of you are, are probably came to Christ as a result of someone telling you, right? And you can probably think about who was the first person that explained the gospel to me? Who was the first person that told me about Jesus Christ? How did they tell you about Jesus Christ? You probably can remember that person. And you also can probably remember the first time you told somebody about Jesus Christ, right? Because in order for people to become a Christian, in order for people to believe the right thing to be in the Father's family, they have to be told the right thing. Because they had all kinds of crazy ideas. But each of us, at some point, we heard, we heard the right thing, and then we said, that's the truth. That's the truth. I'm going to believe that because it's the truth. And as a result, I get to come into the family of God and receive all of those blessings. But in order to really receive all of those blessings, we can't just think the right thing. Okay, believing, and I've told you this before, believing is an action verb in the Greek. It means that, you're, that you do something as a result of what you believe. And if you had a chair, you could say, that chair is going to hold me, 
right? And in, in, in our culture, we'd, that would be enough. I believe that chair will hold me. But in the, in the Greek culture, you would say, I believe that chair is going to hold me as you sit down on it. Okay, demonstrating that that's what you really believe is true. Communion is a good example of this, of just of not only believing but taking in the gospel so that it transforms our life. We want, we, in order to receive communion, we have to make the decision to believe that this, ha, this, this is something that I need. This is something that's going to sustain my life. So we get up out of our chairs, we go to where communion says, and we take the bread and we ingest it. We take it in. We drink the wine and we take it in, demonstrating a belief that Jesus Christ is the bread of life and that he is the one that sustains us. That the blood of Christ is the blood that covers us, that makes us righteous that for, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we're internalizing the gospel. We're living in a way that demonstrates that we believe this is really true. And again, for people to know that this is true, they have to be told. And so we're going to talk a lot about this this summer. We're going to talk about evangelism. But going along with you having been told is this reality, is that you have to be someone that tells others. As you live and experience this truth, the Bible talks about the natural response of that is telling other people. And it's not like walking up to people you don't know and beating them over the head with the Bible, right? It's about moving towards people and loving them. It's about praying for your family in a consistent in a, in a way that you believe that God's heart is to transform their life, for them to come into the kingdom of God. But we have to eventually talk to them. And yes, we're led by the Spirit. And yes, we pray about it. But again, we have to at some point talk to people about Jesus. And I know this. I know some of you are thinking like, I don't know all the answers. I, if I, you know, I'm afraid that they're going to ask something that I'm going to know about and I'm going to look foolish. And that could happen. That could happen. That's happened to me before, and I'm a professional Christian, right? And that happens to me. And, uh, and it makes you feel like I've let God down. But that's just not true. That's a lie from the enemy, right? Because you're loving people, and that's, you know, that's powerful. That is the gospel. But and some of you are feeling like, man, that's terrifying to me. Like talking to someone about, that is terrifying. I've never done that before. And, and that's a very real emotional response to something that you've never done. But the more you do it, the less fear you'll have. Again, we're going to talk about this more. But I want to give you, I want to help you know how to do this. Just, and this is a very short snapshot of what you can do. I'm going to role play it in a minute. Okay? I will tell you. If, again, if you don't share the gospel, then who will? Okay, so we have this burden to share the gospel. And um, we start by loving people. We start by being good neighbors. We start by being friends. And then we have conversations. And the goal of your conversation, really the bottom line of it, needs to be you need to think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's your goal. That's where you're going with it. And this is why you need to get there. Because this is true. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real and it really happened, then everything Jesus said is valid because he was resurrected from the dead. Nobody's done that. It gives credibility to everything else he said. And if the opposite is true, then nothing he said is of any value. If he didn't rise from the dead, then, then he's a liar. 
because he said that he would, and nothing else that he would have said really matters. And so this is what happens in conversations, okay? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good, and, you know, I've been hanging out with you. I've been talking to you. We talk about religion, spirituality, about have you ever considered Jesus Christ? Well, I don't like what Christianity says about how I live. I don't like what Christianity says. You know, it says that I can't have sex when I want with who I want. I don't like the way it affects my life. But that's not the gospel. You wouldn't say that to them. You say, well, that may or may not be true, but that is really not true about who Jesus is. Being a Christian is not about getting your life in order so that you can become somebody different. Being a Christian is about receiving what's been done for you. And then you just get them and say, have you ever considered the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what his claims were? And then you walk with them, you pray for them, and you kind of minister to them. Now, that's a very, very short synopsis of what we're called to do. But if we get our friends, our families thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they have to come to one of two conclusions. But that's the work of the Spirit. Our job is just to walk with them, to love them, and to get them there. Okay? And so if you hear and believe you're a Christian, then Paul says you are sealed by God. Believe and behave, you're a part of his family. You are sealed with a guarantee. A better translation is this. You are marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Okay, and so sealed is really a word that means marked. Okay, we, and it says like it's an identifying mark like a brand, okay? So like when you brand a cattle, or you brand a donkey, what are you doing? You're identifying it as your possession, okay? And so that's what this word means when it talks about sealed, okay? And so it's saying, Paul, what Paul's saying is as someone who believes that this is the truth and you follow Jesus Christ and you live out that truth in your life, you believe and live out that truth, he sends you the Holy Spirit and that marks you as belonging to him. It means that you are his possession, secure in him, okay? And so first, your God's possession is what that means. Now, if you look down a little further, in verse 18 of the same chapter, it says something else that you are to him. Not only are you his possession, but it says that you're also his inheritance. Your possession, you're his possession, but you're also his inheritance. And this is This is amazing what I'm getting ready to tell you, right? It redefines who you are and how you live if you believe it's true, okay? So inheritance here means your net worth. It's the bulk of your wealth. It's your most treasured possession. And so Paul's saying that you belong to God and you're his most treasured possession, Okay, imagine that, oh, I'll I'll tell you, this is a reality in in my family, in my life, in my house. We have three safes. Three safes. Kevin's awesome. Kevin, give his team is amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay. So we're his possession, we're his most valuable treasure. Okay, so in our house, we have three safes. One safe 
has like all the sweets, the candy, the junk food that we don't want our kids to eat. Just, I mean, our boys and little Grace, they will eat everything that we leave out, okay? They are scavengers for sweet things. And then they're, okay, anyway, so that's one safe. The second safe has stuff we don't want them to see like, or, or get near, like my guns and stuff that's dangerous, and if they got into it, they would shoot themselves or die, okay? And die. Okay, so that's the second safe. The third safe we have, have all of our most precious treasures. All of our heirlooms, our dimes that have passed down, earrings, you know, butterfingers, those kinds of things, they're very valuable to us. And that's a little fire safe. It protects everything we have. Now, if there's a fire in our house, and Laura and I have One thing that we can do very quickly, she's running for the hard drives with all the family pictures on it, right? Because once those are gone, they're gone. Guess what I'm doing? I'm running for the safe, the little safe. I'm not running for the big safe. I'm not running for the safe with the guns. I'm not running for the safe with the candy. I'm running to the safe that is most valuable to me, the safe that has my family's heirlooms in it, the, 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 the safe that is my treasured possession. This is what Paul's saying in scripture, that our father owns all the stars. He owns all the galaxies, all the planets, all the worlds. But when he looks at you, he says, this is my inheritance. When he looks at you, he feels wealthy. When he looks at you, he sees you as more valuable than everything else in the universe put together. That's what it means to be God's treasure. And this is where your identity comes from. This is where your hope comes from. If you believe this, it changes everything about what you need other people to say, what you need the world to say. And the world does say something totally different, doesn't it? Things that we run towards. It says, if you don't feel good about yourself, if you have a low self-esteem, You should think about your talents. Think about the positive things in your life. You know, you need to work out. You need to lose weight. That'll make you feel better. You know, better yet, set some goals, but make sure they're reachable goals. Make sure they're reachable so that when you do reach them, you'll feel better about yourself. Spend some more time doing what you really enjoy. You deserve that. Spend more time with people that appreciate you. Appreciate your gifts. Appreciate who you are. Pat yourself on the back. You know, but Lex said, when she said that, she said, Father, we've been neglected by the words of the world. Come and speak those truths over us. And those things are not bad things in and of themselves. It's good to be healthy. It's good to exercise. It's good to have friends around you. They encourage you. But it doesn't compare to the mark and the seal of who you are in Christ. Here's something better to say when you're feeling down about yourself. I am a special treasure of God. When the God of the universe looks at me, his heart wells up and feels wealthy. The great God of the universe is willing to use all of his power to protect me, to rescue me, no matter what the cost. I mean, that is a world, I mean, that changes everything. And if you're a Christian and you don't live like this is true, you will live like everybody else. 
Everybody else around you is looking for compliments, trying and working for success. Their identity is wrapped up in what they do and how they believe other people see them. They're desperate for affirmation. They're longing for acclaim and approval. They're always nervous. They're always upset, always disappointed. It would be like the prodigal son being welcomed back into the family of God, right? Receiving the ring that identifies him as a family member. You know, receiving the royal robe that cloaks him in the righteousness of the Father. Receiving the sandals, going to the feast, having this big party in front of you, all of these things you receive. And he's like, yo, I'm out of here. I don't, I mean, I see this is for me, but what I really want is where I was. And him leaving the party, running back from where he came, finding the pig troughs, and saying, this is what I want to eat. This is what I really want. This is who I really am. Now, if hearing that, you think, who would do that? That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. But isn't that how many of us live? Isn't that how we all live? We all struggle to live like this is really true about us, that God possesses us, that we are his treasure. If you can't imagine being Peter Pan, you never will be Peter Pan. If you can't imagine that this is true about you, that you are God's child, then you will never act like you're God's child. And that is incredible news. That's a game changer if we can internalize this, if we can pray that this would become true about who we are. But it gets better. So if you hear and you believe, and it says, then you are sealed and marked by God as his own. You are his valuable treasure. And then Paul says, then you are given a guarantee of your faithful inheritance that you still have coming to you. And that's, okay, so what Paul's saying is, you got this, you got this, and if you got that, then you get sealed, I possess you, you're my treasure, but guess what? There's more. There's a deposit or a guarantee that you're receiving now, the Holy Spirit, that you're receiving now of the future, of your future inheritance and the glory that's getting ready to come. Okay, so it says, guaranteed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, so a guarantee, a pledge, is something which stands for a part of the price and paid beforehand to confirm a transaction, okay? So God has given us, believers in Jesus Christ, God has given us the Holy Spirit, present in our life now to demonstrate what belongs to us. It's a taste that God gives us now to demonstrate what belongs to us in the future, okay? And this word deposit here, it means first installment, okay? And so Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is the first installment of the future glory that is coming to you, the future glory that's coming to you. Now, I say that, and you're thinking, what's what's the future glory that's coming to me? Like, what does that even mean? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's the bomb, right? This is what's going to happen. On the last day, when Jesus returns, a glory will descend on all people 
that are in Jesus Christ. All people that have heard and believed and have said that this is the truth, I follow Jesus Christ. A glory will descend on them. A glory so perfect and so powerful and so transforming that it will cleanse the whole universe of what's wrong with it. And just the fallout, just the the, the remnants of this glory, just the edge of this glory as it catches our heart is so powerful is that not only will it cleanse the universe, not only will, will, it, will, it, will it restore, it says restore all of creation, it says as it falls on us, the glory of God falls on us, it will make everything right that is wrong with us, and that we will become a new creation. We will be transformed into somebody that we can't imagine. It, may, it, it will get rid of all disease. It will get rid of all brokenness, all suffering, all sin, all of our bad thoughts, all of our nature that draws us away from God. It will totally be gone. I mean, that's amazing, right? And so God's given us a taste of that in the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that, we, that will be received in us. For the creation itself will be liberated or set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we who have a down payment of the Spirit, grown inwardly, that's the Holy Spirit, is groaning for us as we wait eagerly our full adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, For in this hope, we were saved. That is amazing truth. It says that when Christ returns, it says the rocks will cry out. It says that creation will literally sing to him as the glory falls on it. And if that's true about his creation, and we are the pinnacle of what he's created for, what he's created, we are his treasure and his possession, imagine what we will experience Imagine how powerful, how overwhelming that will be. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, it says that you've been given a taste of that glory as a deposit so that your hope will not be in the present suffering, not be in the struggles of what you go through today, but will be in the future, the promises that God has for you. I don't have two hands to move that, so I'm down there now. But here's what we do, is we underestimate what this really means. We have this deposit in us that is a taste of the glory. And because we don't really know what that means, we don't live like it's true. You see, when we become a Christian, we kind of have this idea like, oh yeah, I'm going to become a Christian and Jesus is going to transform me through the power of the Spirit. And you're thinking like, oh, I'm not going to curse anymore. Or, or, okay, I'm going to stop having sex with my girlfriend before we're married or my boyfriend, right? Or I'm going to stop watching that show that has inappropriate language and inappropriate other things in it, right? And we think about the kind of transformation that we're going to have, and, it, and you're so wrong. You are underestimating the taste and the power and the glory of what is to come. And so if you don't believe and trust and know what is to come, how can you live out of the truth and the taste and the down payment of what you've been given. C.S. Louis, C.S. Louis. I saw, I mean, we're like bros. And so I'm like, what up, C.S. Louis? 
Yo, 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 Louie. Okay. C.S. Lewis says this of mere Christianity. He says this. Most people, when they invite God into their lives, expect a few changes. He says what actually happens is it's like somebody who has a little cottage. You ask somebody to come and sort out and clean the gutters, and all of a sudden, they start knocking down walls. I thought about, like, if this was true, like, maids to remodel. Maids for remodeling. You know, you invite a maid over to your house to clean the baseboards, clean out little things, and she brings a sledgehammer or, like, a bobcat and wrecks walls in your house. You'd be like, what, what? What are you doing, maid? I just wanted some cleaning done. I just want you to change the way I thought. I just want you to change this behavior. I thought you were just going to come in and clean up a little bit. But that's how we act. God is just, he's not here to do a, a, you know, a few fine tunings in our cottage. He's, that's not why he's here. He's here to, ch- to change our cottage into a castle. That's the kind of change that Christ has died to give us, to change our little cottage into a, he's gonna do something that's so infinitely greater than what we can imagine. When you are marked by God and receive his spirit, you are receiving, receiving a piece of glory that will transform your life in every way, in a way that you can't imagine. And don't underestimate, and this is what we do, we, we underestimate the newness of what that means. Don't underestimate the newness. Don't underestimate the power of what God can do. You know, I know what you're thinking. Man, I've got a lot of things wrong with me. I've got a lot of things wrong with me. And I don't, and I don't know if God can change that. I don't know if God can transform that. Because it is dark. It's hidden. Or I've done this. Or I've done that. Or I've had this. Or I've had done, that done to me. And we prayed about it. And we haven't seen a change. And so we give up on God. And we settle for the cottage. And we don't, and we do that because we don't really understand what is promised to us. We don't really understand the glory that has been deposited into us that will wreck our world if we allow him to, if we open ourselves up for him to do that. There is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. There's no habit. There's no thought. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing about who you are that the power of the Spirit can't change in your life. There's nothing. There's nothing. And this promise, this guarantee from God, if we really allow it to sink in, it changes not only our hope for the future, but our hope for the future changes how we live now. And this, I mean, here's an example. Imagine you and a friend for a day had to make these widgets. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, that just means like these things. All right, doesn't matter what they are. Okay, and so um, you walk into the room, and this room is nasty, right? It stinks, and it's super hot. You're sweating profusely, and, uh, and there's no drink, there's no windows, and you have to, for the whole day, Make these things, okay? And and while you're making these things, people are screaming at you the whole time, okay? I mean, if you think about that, if you imagine that, you're like, oh, hell, I I don't want that. That sounds brutal. Okay, and this is what happens. Just as you begin to work, your boss, 
who sent you into this hellhole, he walks over to your friend. He says, I tell you what, at the end of the day, I'm going to give you 50 bucks, right? Now, that person is going to hear that, and they're going to be, dis- they're going to be like, I'm, this is not worth $50. This is not worth it. If th- I'm going to p- get paid 50 bucks? Forget this. I'm out of here. This is totally not worth it. But imagine after that, your boss walks over to you and says, at the end of the day, I'm going to give you a million dollars. You hear that, and you're like, oh, man. You're like singing, you're happy, you're joyful. It is like you're working in paradise. And it, the only circumstance that has changed, because you're doing the same task for the same amount of time, but there is a hope in the future of what you're going to receive that changes how you behave now. What you believe about the future will either sweeten your life or sour it. It will either brighten your days or darken it. It will make it more impossible to live with hope in the midst of trials and tragedy, or it will make it impossible for you to put up with the problems of the world. You'll give up and you'll sink in to darkness. We have a hope, though, don't we? We have a hope that nobody else has. And we need to tell people about it because it not only will change how we think about ourselves now, it's God's possession and God's treasure and will give us an identity that is unlike everybody else, but it will also give us a hope for the future that will change how we live. If you live with the belief that there is more, that we have been guaranteed a promise, a future life that is more than we can imagine, we will live differently. So becoming part of God's family, you hear and you believe. And when you do that, you're filled, you're marked as God's possession. You're marked as God's possession and his treasure. And he guarantees you, he guarantees you a future that you can't imagine. Imagine being God's child so that you can become God's child. Let's stand.